Welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of Left podcast in which we shall learn about the toll the pandemic is taking on mental health and offer a wide range of coping mechanisms to help get everyone through. As is our new tradition, because non-traditional times call for non-traditional podcasts, we're doing a, a quick emotional state check-in here at the beginning. Uh, how are we feeling? Plus, uh, Amanda and I actually have some tips from two people who have basically been training for this for years, <laughs> both working and living at home together for four consecutive years now. Yeah, that, that's the amount of time we've been working together at home. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so first, um, how we've been feeling. I've personally had a long string of headaches. They're in line with the normal kind of headaches I get. Tension, shoulder like shoulder tension, shoulder pain that creeps up into my head. But normally, I mean, would you say I get one a week on average? On average. Like, yeah, I guess on average, that's probably true. Yeah, you've had a long history with this, but they've definitely been worse yeah, lately. So, so sometimes I can go for really long periods without any. Sometimes they get bunched up. And the last week and a half, it, I, I would say like 60 to 80% of the days for sure but even the time within the day mm -hmm. um, you know I'm like taking hot showers trying to relax eventually taking ibuprofen or you know something similar yeah, we're going through a, our supply very quickly which is unfortunate <laughs> yeah and I you know I try to avoid taking too many but so that that's that's been what's uh, weighing on me recently um, right now I'm, I'm in a lucky state like somehow it has backed off a bit but the last three days I've been okay yeah yeah and we need to to put a little more effort into some physical activity um try to go somewhere where not everyone else is also out for their physical activity <laughs> right well good luck with that yeah uh and how are you feeling yeah I think mainly I, I kind of shifted a little bit this week between sadness and rage so the rage definitely comes um, when I read anything about Congress and conservatives trying to screw over poor people to benefit billionaires and giant corporations who really should have been more prepared for some kind of uh, event that has been constantly on my mind, as well as rage at pharmaceutical companies like uh, like Gilead out in San Francisco, who has you know just uh, abused the Orphan Drug Act which has been put in place for rare diseases specifically so that pharmaceutical companies don't completely ignore people with rare diseases. Uh, I am in that camp, so maybe I take it a little more personally. So that that's the rage part. The sadness part is just reading. There's been more and more personal experiences of people, you know, of all ages. Let's be real. These are people in their 30s, 40s. And, you know, and then stories of older people as well. And they're all absolutely heartbreaking and scary. And it just, it just makes me sad. I mean, you know, there are a lot of funny memes out there. There's a lot of stuff that you can, you know, kind of get a break from the onslaught of, um, of sadness. <laughs> but let's be real, we're dealing with a pandemic. This is disease. People are sick and they're dying. So there has been a lot of, of the sadness <laughs> this week as well. And so that's what we're dealing with today. The, the, you know, the mental toll and, and we're going to get to, I mean, the whole show is chock full of, I think, good and interesting ways to deal with the emotional toll and, and uh, just how to get ourselves in 
the right frame of mind to take this on, keeping in mind that we're at the beginning and this is going to be a marathon. Right. So, so uh, just sort of on the domestic level, I mean, uh, family-wise, domestic, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we have a few like rapid-fire suggestions because we've been living together and working together for a long time. And these are the things we've come up with that help us not annoy each other. The first up is that we do our laundry separately. Yeah. Which is not like a feminist statement. It's it's <laughs> no. just a... It's a, I have particular things that I want done a certain way and cared for a certain way. And I just like, don't expect you to deal with that. And that, that was certainly a benefit. If I remember correctly, but I mean like eight years ago now or whatever, I think it was my idea but not it wasn't my original idea i heard it somewhere it was just like a for better domestic life do your own laundry yeah, yeah. and it's just a nice nice way to help divide uh you know the workload and like sometimes you know we'll obviously combine if it's you know when we don't sense. have a full load or something like that that that's certainly yeah so part of it, just as, as a general rule mm-hmm. um obviously alternating cooking duties as much as possible yes uh, yes taking making sure no one's carrying the brunt of that burden yeah um the, the one we thought of today that we definitely developed by accident is to make sure we have super easy food to make specifically on rough days yeah yeah and and when we talk about rough days before, we were talking about just like work days that just go south and they're just the worst and it's a grind and a haul and they last forever. And so like by the time it's dinner time, you're just like, please hand me food that someone else has made. And when both of you feel that way, it's really hard to like, okay, I'll be the one to go do it tonight. So, you know, either order takeout from one of your local businesses who's, you know, that are doing that and support the local economy or just have on hand something unbelievably easy that requires nothing other than throwing it in the oven or something. Yeah. This this goes broadly across a range of interpersonal relationship topics is setting expectations appropriately. Mm-hmm. And, and so the one that we try to do, depending on the day and the week, is to ask about how the next day is going to look. Mm-hmm. Just, just sort of check in with each other. We'll check in. What, what's your day look like tomorrow? What does my day look like tomorrow? How are we going to arrange our schedule? Yeah, and especially if you're doing like conference meetings and stuff, which we don't like. I, I have a weekly meeting or two, but if you're both trying to do <laughs> conference calls and you need separate spaces in the house and you need to arrange all of that, and you know if you have kids and you got to figure that out, I mean, those are conversations you like need to have the day before, the night before, just to help you stay sane i think Mm -hmm. Um, i'm a big fan of minimizing auditory pollution Mm. otherwise Mm -hmm. known as you are a big fan of that (laughs) otherwise known as wear headphones whenever possible yeah and the the one i mean obviously for like phones and computers we've been doing that for a long time but uh tv too like you can increasingly plug in Bluetooth headphones mm-hmm. for, for TVs so that you can literally be in the same room as a person watching TV. They're watching their show. You could be doing something else and not be bothered. That's that's a yeah. game changer. And that, uh, something not everyone might have access to, but e- sometimes even the big headphones have these extended cords that you might be able to plug in, but um, mm. if, if you have it, basically try to take advantage of that. Yeah. 
And then this is the one that I've been fighting with for the last couple of weeks is is to literally just give yourself the mental space to deal with this pandemic because like I've gone from alternating between having my energy totally sapped so that I'm unable to work to being overwhelmed by work I feel like I should be doing to then sort of getting a burst of energy and thinking, actually, this story is so big and moving so fast, I should increase my workload. And and then I had to talk myself down like, no, 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 you need to build in time to let your brain and body cope with what's going on. Yeah. And to not overextend yourself. Like my my status quo is to overextend myself a little bit. And I need to really rein that in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, even though we've been doing this for a long time, that doesn't mean that we're not also affected and that that's hard to explain, I think, sometimes. But again, it's just the mental toll that all of this stuff is taking and obviously you know everyone is worried about loved ones all across the country and the world and uh and that and that just takes mental toll so you gotta you gotta be a little gentle with yourself and just try to implement whatever it takes to make your days run a little smoother and also gives yourself a chance to breathe throughout the day you know even if it's like okay we're having lunch and we're gonna put our computers down put our phones down and we're gonna have a real lunch break give that to yourself don't just you know sit there and try to work through lunch because you're just reveling in your anxiety like to really try to make space for breaks i think that's incredibly important right now And then the last one I have for you is some of the simplest yet best advice I've heard. I heard it during my research for this show, but it went missing. I don't think it's in the show, so I wanted to make sure Mm. to mention it here. And this is especially good for families with people who don't really want to take it seriously. Something that you can say to people to help drive drive this home is that you can always look back and admit that you overreacted, but understand that that's never going to be that big of a deal. You never want to put yourself in the position of living with the idea that looking back, I wish I had done more. Yeah. And and then that's what I heard on a show. This, this, is, this one's original for me. <laughs> that if you have a loved one who's just, you know, you're anxious and, and trying to do your best and you have someone in your family who's just not, you know, living up to what you wish they were, precaution-wise, ask them to take the precautions not because they need to believe that taking precautions is necessary, but because it would be helpful to you personally as someone they love that it is necessary for your mental health for them to take precautions. So if they don't want to do it for themselves, do it for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have uh, thoughts, anything to share, as always, the number to dial 202-999-3991, and we'll get on to the show. Clips today come from Social Distance, the Love, Happiness, and Success podcast, The Last Post, Epidemic, The Tim Ferriss Show, The Bugle, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, The Coronavirus Daily Briefing, common censored and i know i said this was all about coping mechanisms but for the sake of posterity so that we never forget we're starting with a timeline of trump's dismissals of the crisis from the majority report (laughs) 
Is there a, a timeline of some of Donald Trump's statements that he made about uh, coronavirus? And um, I'm sorry, I just don't accept the notion that um, that now is not the time for politics because I'm not in a, I'm not a doctor. I have the ability to help anybody. I don't, I don't manufacture respirators. I don't have any here. I can't send them to a hospital. And at one point, we're going to get to the other side of this. And the American public should be aware of why we're in this situation. January 22. We have it totally under control. If it's one person coming in from China, it's just going to be fine. February 2nd, we pretty much shut it down coming in from China. Remember, Donald Trump and John Bolton, this Republican administration, eliminated the key leadership figure who sat on the National um, Security Council, who was in charge of coordinating responses to pandemics. And his entire staff coordinating the disparate actions. I mean, Army Corps of Engineers, the VA, uh, the Navy, because they have naval uh, hospital ships. Uh, People maybe who work in commerce who would deal with like, uh, you know, uh, manufacturing of respirators. How do we juice? How do we go in requisition? Uh, Apparently, the Army has... Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of masks that could go to doctors, go to first responders, go to people working, um, testing, get tests. I mean, people need to bring this together. They had no ability to do this in the white house. And apparently nobody who could say to Donald Trump, like, Hey man, we got a problem. February 25th. February 24th, the coronavirus very much in, under control in the USA. Stock market starting to look very good to me. The 25th, CDC and my administration are doing a great job of handling it. I think uh, on the 25th, I think it's a problem that's going to go away. They have studied it. They know very much. In fact, we're very close to a vaccine. He did no idea. No idea what he's talking about. They've tried a vaccine on someone the other day. It's going to be 18 months before anybody, if it works, February 26th to 15 cases in the U.S. within a couple of days is going to be close down to zero. 26th, uh, we're going very substantially down, not up. One day, it's like a miracle. It will disappear, he said on February 27th. We're ordering a lot of supplies, he said on February 28th. We're ordering a lot of, you know, elements that, frankly, uh, we wouldn't be ordering unless it was something like this. But we're ordering a lot of different elements of medical March 2nd, you take a solid flu vaccine. You don't think you could have an impact, much of an impact on Corona? He asked the doctor. I remember that uh, video. That was funny. A lot of exciting things happening, happening very rapidly. March 4th, if we have thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that get better just by, you know, sitting around and even going to work. Some of them go to work, they but they get better. On the next day, he said, I never said people that are feeling sick should go to work. 
March 5th, the United States has of now only 129 cases and 11 deaths. We're working very hard to keep these numbers as low as possible. On the 6th, I think we're doing a really good job in this country of keeping it down, a tremendous job of keeping it down. Uh, March 6th, anybody right now needs a test, gets a test. They're here. The tests are beautiful. The tests are all perfect. Like the letter was perfect. Like the letter was perfect. The transcription was perfect. Right? This is not as perfect as that, but pretty good. Uh, March 6th, I like this stuff. People are surprised. I understand it. Uh, March 6th, I don't need to have the numbers double because of one ship that wasn't our fault. That was the uh, cruise liner. One point, you know, in a rally, he said it was a hoax. I think that should be in this too. By March 9th, he says this blindsided the world. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. There was a cost in electing this guy. Sheer incompetence actually matters. Sheer incompetence actually matters. Um, what the Republican Party has um, unleashed on this country by supporting a guy and kowtowing to a guy who completely incapable of doing this job. Not even just incompetent, but dispositionally impossible of doing, just incapable of doing this job. And you can say um, the Democrats are, are no good and a lot of the corporatists in the Democratic Party have created a tremendous amount of misery. Um, I am afraid that we're going to see uh, an amount of of misery that none of us alive have have seen in this country. And at the end of the day, this fundamental belief that government is nothing but a uh, an opportunity to enrich oneself, if it is anything, it's going to end up killing a lot of people. I think it's going to end up killing a lot of people. So I imagine you're getting lots of questions uh, about how to manage this situation, especially the distance. And I imagine it is especially difficult for families who are separated. And um, I'm curious what kinds of things you're hearing from your audience about, you know, what their primary concerns like this week are. I think their primary concerns are uh, how to deal with family relationships when people don't agree on what precautions should be taken. I think that a lot of these disagreements come down to people's anxiety that they're not talking about. So, or, or in some cases, people aren't anxious enough. And I know that's, that's the most counterintuitive thing to say at this time when all people are talking about is how anxious everybody is. But I have to say there are people out there who are not anxious enough and that's why they're not taking precautions. And so that's the difference between what we call productive anxiety, which is 
you see the risks, you're taking reasonable precautions, like you're washing your hands a lot, you're not exposing yourself um, unnecessarily, or you're not exposing other people unnecessarily. Um, that's, that's because you have productive anxiety about this virus. Now, unproductive anxiety are the people who ruminate obsessively about it. They're the people who are checking the news, you know, every 10 minutes or every hour. Um, they're, they're, you know, can't focus on anything except for kind of like all Corona all the time. And those are the people who are, are really putting their own emotional health at risk and, and the emotional health of those around them too. So that's contagious also, that sort of, you know, ruminative anxiety. So the people in the families who are saying, well, it's okay if, you know, I'm out in the world and then I go visit our 80 year old parents, um, they need to have a little more anxiety. And what's happening is they are anxious. And what they're doing instead is they're going into denial. So they don't want to feel the anxiety. So they go into denial and they say, oh no, I'm going to put my head in the sand and it's okay. They're not doing that consciously. But that's what's happening. So how do you have that conversation with somebody so you can get past the denial and into a place of let's have a reasonable conversation about this? Well, that that is a I have a very practical question for you on that front. Um, I, I mean, for instance, I think I'm not alone in this. A lot of people, the, the only way I know how to get through to to my parents, say, is by yelling at them so much that they get mad, <laughs> you know, um, so how do you have any really nitty gritty guidance on how to have these conversations in, an, in, a, in a way that's empathetic, but also communicates the, the seriousness and the urgency of this? Yeah, I, I would say I have two suggestions. One is that I think when you when you're sort of trying to get your point across um, and it's you're just kind of arguing facts, the best way to do that is to actually just say, here, I just want you to read this. And then give them something that's very, you know, digestible, short, concrete, um, so that they they can read it for themselves. So it's not just some mm -hmm. kind of, you know, idea that you might have in your head that they think you're overreacting to. Right. And and I think that you know, seeing enough of that might be helpful. Sometimes it takes more than one. You know, it's kind of like it's kind of like we say with our kids when they taste a new food that they need to taste it seven times before they know if they like it. Um, you know, it's kind of like when you're trying to tell somebody something that they're very resistant to, they might need to see it in seven different places before. I, yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess the question that I mean, the reason that say I went into yelling mode is that, you know, seven times is maybe a few days a few more days of them being out in the world, you right, know, and potentially this way. Yeah, yeah. But think of it this way. If you yell, it's going to be a lot more days of them out in the world because they're not going to hear you. Nobody can hear anybody when they're yelling. Um, all they hear is the yelling. They don't hear the content. And so if you continue to yell because you're so anxious that it might take a few more days, if you show them lots of articles, um, they're going to move faster, even if it's a few days later, by seeing the articles because your yelling probably will never change their minds or it won't change it for, you know, weeks. I'm going to have to change my whole approach of conversation with my parents. This is very, <laughs> very disappointing. Well, I was um, going to say the, the other, the other thing is in addition to, you know, kind of, and giving them those before you give them those, the conversation isn't about, Hey, you really need to do this. It's about, I love you so much and I don't want to see anything happen to you. And here's what I see happening. And I just want to let you know that you will make whatever decision that you make, but I want to give you all the information because 
it would be so sad. I would be devastated if something happened to you because you didn't have this information. You know what? That is so helpful. And uh, of course, once you say it, it's obvious. And I, I think my parents listen to this podcast, so I'm going to tell them right here. What I about- love you so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let me have my moment, Jim. No, 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 please. Jim is uh, uncomfortable with this. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm going to tell my parents I love them. Mom and dad, I love you and I'm concerned about you and I want you to stay at home so that so that I have you for, how do I say it? Sorry, I lost it. <laughs> I love you and I'm concerned about you. Just and stick I just to the want script. you to take care of yourself. I'm sorry. Don't That's try to draw on later. any I'll sort of well later. of earnest emotions. Oh, I tried. I gave yeah, it no, a shot. I'll call him. Today's episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN, which protects your privacy and security online. But what you may not know is that it can also be used to unlock movies and shows that are only available to stream from other countries. Now that so many of us are stuck at home, it's only a matter of time until you run out of stuff to watch on Netflix. But you could use ExpressVPN to binge shows like Doctor Who on Netflix only available in the UK as just one example of thousands. Just fire up the ExpressVPN app, change your location to the UK, refresh Netflix, and that's it. It hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries, so just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. But it's not just Netflix, it works with any streaming service. And it's ridiculously fast, so you can easily stream in HD, and it's compatible with all your favorite devices. I've been an ExpressVPN user for both privacy and digital globetrotting purposes for years now. It really is the must-have app for any citizen of the world. If you visit expressvpn.com slash left, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want from wherever you want, and protect yourself with ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com slash left. People are really struggling with just uncertainty right now and just how to cope with that. Because many people, there's an enormous amount of comfort in just kind of knowing what's happening tomorrow and being able to make plans for the future. And our reality currently is that many people are extremely worried about their financial future um, with businesses pausing, shutting down, Nobody knows where this is going. Um, I've even had people say, I feel like coronavirus has destroyed my life. I cannot deal with the uncertainty of not knowing what is happening day to day, moment to moment, how long this is going to last, what will become of me, what's on the other side of this, is this just my new normal? Ah! And so the thought, the, the set of ideas I, I would like to leave you with, and again, this is not, I'm going to drop this advice and everything will be different, but but ideas to begin exploring and learning more about and practicing are related to two things. Um, you know, the, the Buddhists teach this idea that the only thing we can ever count on is change and uncertainty and to get real comfortable with that and not um, get 
attached to things being a certain way because that in itself brings an enormous amount of stress and pain and anxiety because life doesn't work that way. Um, and related to this idea is the idea of radical acceptance. And this is, we talk about this a lot, particularly um, DBT is like a form of therapy that can be incredibly useful for managing emotions. But the central idea is that um, to develop the skill of acceptance of what is in an intentional way, without having to like it, you know, you can say, this is what's happening. And I do not love this. It is not my first choice. And this is what is happening. And I need to deal with this and make a plan for how I'm going to handle this reality. As opposed to the alternative choice, which is not accepting reality, and instead, being extremely upset and distressed about the fact that reality is the way that it is. So there's a very old story about two people walking along, minding their own business, and somebody runs up out of the blue and shoves them both into this rushing river that they're walking next to. And now they're both in this river. It is a whitewater river. It is cold. It is fast. And the first person is like, what just happened? That guy pushed us into the river. That is not okay. I am so mad about this. And was like, how dare he? How dare he? And just flashing around and yelling and being so upset and spending all of this energy and drowned in the river because of their indignation and their protest. This is not okay. That they had very specific, you know, this is what people do. This is how we should behave. And this person violated that. And therefore, I'm going to freak out. That's option one. The second person also experienced being pushed in the river through no fault of their own. And they certainly had this moment where they were like, this is not okay, and then shifted into a place of radical acceptance where they said, and I'm in a river right now, and it's cold, and it's fast, and I need to deal with this situation calmly or I'm not going to make it. They shifted into that headspace looked around. They're going down the river. They kind of saw a branch hanging out over the water, did a little dog paddle over there because they're taking action based in reality and caught that branch, pulled themselves out and lived to fight another day. And the moral of the story is that we can often not control things that happened. We cannot control our circumstances that in many ways reality will have its way with us, right? But what we can do is choose how we're going to react and we can spend a lot of mental and emotional energy being highly upset that things are the way they are or we can shift into a place of radical acceptance which is one of 
dealing with reality on its own terms as it is and adjusting ourselves accordingly so that we are in the best position possible to manage it competently. And that is really the definition of resilience, you know, not that we have to be 100% all the time and not that you aren't allowed to have feelings, but this resilience comes from a, a sense of competence and efficacy that, you know, this is happening and I will find my way through. And I don't need to know what exactly that's going to look like because that is unknowable right now. And I do know that I will continue putting one foot in front of the other. I will do the next best thing when opportunities or ideas present themselves. I will, you know, take take that turn. I mean, you know, another metaphor is the idea of getting in your car for a road trip, a long road trip, right? I'm in Colorado and I'm going to drive to California and I don't know exactly what I'm going to encounter every mile. You know, I can only see the horizon in front of me, or in some patches, I can only maybe see a couple hundred yards ahead of my car. At night, you can only see what's in front of you with the headlights. And, and you don't have to know exactly what is going to happen. You just have to trust yourself and your own competence to make good decisions every step of the way. And when you have new information, you will act accordingly. And so I think that those are kind of big ideas, but they're attached to a mindfulness practice and an intention of staying in the present moment, operating in reality, staying calm. Um, and I think that remembering all of those things can be very helpful to us during this time. Dating app Tinder has launched a new sexting and long-distance letter-writing guide for quarantine-stricken singles who can no longer organize soulless hookups with strangers. The app will still match you via profile analysis, but instead of encouraging you to meet up, will encourage you to cultivate an epistolatory romance in the style of Jane Austen, with guides for how to gently imply a meeting at a later date or indicate respect for the family of your intended hookup. That to launch later this week. I'm going to start with um, sort of the stuff that you talked about in your recent piece for The Atlantic, this idea of how do you leverage moral responsibility as a motivator and, and how do you encourage them to be givers and not takers in a crisis like this? Yeah. So one of the things we've we've known in psychology for decades is people generally don't believe that they're at risk when it comes to illness or disease. And this will not surprise either of you, given your professional experience. But there's there's a lot of evidence for the illusion of invulnerability, where, you know, people kind of wander around saying, well, you know, germs, they're, they're no match for me. And so, you know, one of my big questions for a long time has been, how do you overcome that illusion? And it turns out that when it comes to estimating the risk to others, we're much more realistic. And, you know, we, we think we might be invulnerable and invincible, but we know that other people are susceptible. 
I've done some experiments with colleagues where we've shown that people are more likely to wash their hands if you remind them that it could make others sick uh, if, if they don't, as opposed to trying to convince them it could make them sick. I think uh, that's, that's one of the ways to get people to, to take some of the social distance and hand hygiene policies more seriously. So, Adam, we always think of crises as hopefully bringing out the best in people, but also it kind of brings out the worst in people, too. So talk to me a little bit about your thoughts about how a pandemic like this brings out things like xenophobia and racism. We're seeing Chinese Americans being targeted in our country for bullying and discrimination. What's the, what's the psychology of all that? Oh, interesting question, Ron. So I've been thinking about this a lot, and it's, it's been really obviously disappointing to see in, in many ways. Gosh, there's a whole literature on mortality salience in psychology that says, you know, being aware that we're at risk or, you know, our lives are in danger can lead to one of two responses. And one is exactly the one you're describing, which is people experience anxiety. And one of the ways they buffer against anxiety is they double down on their core worldviews. And so they become much more oriented toward defending their in-group, trying to bolster their self-esteem. And sometimes they do that by, by attacking the other, so to speak. I think that's the bad news. The good news is, like you point out, there's also the possibility that if, if we're reacting less from anxiety and more a standpoint of reflection, these kinds of reminders of mortality make us a little bit more generous. They encourage us to expand our moral circle and include, you know, outgroups, even, you know, animals, um, the environment in our, our conception of, you know, of who we're responsible for. And so I guess one of the one of the thoughts here very simply is to say, look, if we want to get people to be less xenophobic, less racist, one of the things we could do is we could try to shift people out of anxiety and toward reflection and ask them, okay, you know, not just today, but in the next three to five years, what would you like to do about, you know, about the problems that we're facing right now? What kind of pandemic response would you like to see available? How can we better prepare for the long run? And it seems like when people shift their time horizon a little bit, they feel a little bit less personally threatened. Interesting. Well, let me ask you about another set of behaviors we're seeing, which is kind of hoarding and buying things up. Anyone who's been to a grocery store in the past week knows that you cannot find toilet paper. We saw a story in the Washington Post about a guy who drove around and bought every bottle of hand sanitizer in a 20-mile radius and are sitting on 17,000 bottles. What was that, 17,000? Yeah, 17,000 bottles of hand, hand sanitizer. So... What advice would you give on how to discourage this kind of uh, bad behavior? The place I would start is to say, too often we focus on, on behavior change when we really need to get people to think about identity change. So the, the research I'm thinking here, of here is Chris Bryan. Uh, what he studies is uh, how nouns are often more powerful than verbs. This is why, you know, with, with drunk driving, uh, for example, Instead of saying, you know, don't drive drunk, it's often more effective to say, don't be a drunk driver. Because, you know, people will say, look, I can, I can drive drunk and I'm still a good person. But if I think about being a drunk driver, well, now that, that actually casts a shadow on, on the kind of person I am. So you know, I think don't be a hoarder, don't be a taker. Uh, that kind of message could be pretty powerful. I'm curious, though, you all have, have lived in, in the world of people hoarding supplies and kind of responding to crises a lot longer than I have. What do you think about all this? Yeah, I am really having a really hard time with the hoarding thing myself right now in terms of people around me fessing up to, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I did. 
And I guess what I am saying to people right now when I hear that is, okay, I understand why you did this, but here's the situation now in the hospitals. And, you know, if there's any way to get those supplies back to the hospitals where they're really needed and, you know, reward them for that. Like, look, I, I forgive you. I understand, you know, that this was your instinct, but, but now we really do need you to, to help us out. Um, so I guess that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. One more question is Adam. There's an interesting piece out recently that, um, Maybe bad public health communications contributed to this. The more the public health authorities were kind of telling people they were stupid and didn't know what they were doing might have provoked them into doing more of it. Well, I, I think you've both hit on on themes that <laughs> that are, are very salient for us in psychology. So, uh, Ron, I'll start with yours, and then, Selena, I want to come back to your point, too. Um, I think these public health communications might have had that effect. What, what's critical here is actually to highlight that the base rate of, of hoarding is really low and to say, look, mo- most people recognize that, you know, that it's, it's critical to get the supplies and resources to, you know, the, the health and safety professionals who need them most. And you actually want to highlight how this behavior is rare rather than common. And then when you do call out the behavior, you want to, you want to express a very clear disapproval of it. Right and say, look, this is this is not okay, uh, and that's where you know people people seem to <laughs> recover the better angels of their nature. Adam, as different organizations are coping with this in so many different ways, should I close down where I'm not required to close down? If I close down, should I pay my workers? What are the hard questions that are coming your way right now? You know, honestly, most of the questions I've been getting are are less dire uh, from an organizational perspective. They've been around. How do I, you know, how do I manage remote work? How do I keep my team engaged and, you know, make sure that that people don't start to feel isolated and and lonely? I think where where I probably have gotten, um, maybe maybe where I've been less unhelpful, has just been around basic questions of, you know, of, of how do I help people manage the panic and fear? We know that you can basically either reframe or refocus, and both of those two things help. So, you know, you, you could reframe, for example, your, uh, you know, your time away from the office as, as giving you extra family time or flex time. Uh, you can, you know, try to refocus on other priorities that you have, like, you know, getting, getting in shape or uh, learning a new skill that you might have extra time for. It's helpful to, to take a step back from your emotions and say, okay, I'm feeling anxiety. What am I actually feeling anxiety about? Am I worried that we're not going to have enough food? Am I worried that I'm, you know, I might be exposed? Am I concerned that, you know, I'm going to end up really isolated? And as you start to name what you're feeling, you can begin to pinpoint the causes and actually do something about it, as opposed to just kind of wallowing in the, in the uncertainty. So last question for you, Adam. Um, you know, I think one thing that is especially challenging is where you have political polarization, where you have um, mistrust in government that really makes controlling an epidemic, or in this case, a pandemic, that much more challenging. And I think one of the problems is people believe on the basis of their political identity and whether they think the messenger shares the same political identity. So, I mean, I don't know if you agree with that, but if you do, you know, how should that reframe how we approach this? Yeah, Selena, I, I think it's hard not to agree with that, sadly. I, I think, 
you know, so much of, of communication is filtered through the lens of, well, what's this person's agenda? I think the, you know, the, the good news on that is there are some cross-cutting values. So, you know, we know, we know for example, from work on um, trying to communicate about climate change across the aisle, uh, that one value that's, that's shared by conservatives and liberals is freedom. You know what? Wherever you stand politically, one of the reasons that we all need to make sure that, you know, we, we stay out of social contact as much as possible, that, you know, we, we go out of our way to, you know, to wash very carefully is, you know, we want to maintain freedom. We want to, we want to stay a free community, a free country. And we can't do that if, you know, if half of our community or half of our country gets sick. So I, I just, I'd probably say there, there are some fundamental values that uh, they can reach people regardless of their political ideology. And I think, I think freedom is the most compelling one. Uh, there may be others. Uh, any, any others that either of you have, have noticed? Well, I mean, you know, one that I'll talk about a little bit is faith. During the Ebola uh, outbreak, one of the most controversial decisions I made was a decision to authorize the use of U.S. military equipment to fly radically anti-American imams around different parts of the three countries of West Africa to allow them to tell their followers to engage in safer burial practices. Wow. And no matter how much we tried to message this safer burial practice message through public health communications, through kind of traditional mainstream communications, people weren't doing it. But these imams could reach their faith communities, and we made a decision, even though these imams were not friends of the United States, that the best way to save lives was to deploy these people throughout these countries. And it made a real difference on changing people's burial practices. Questions of faith and other kinds of belief systems are important here, and uh, political ideology is just one step away from that in many cases, and we have to kind of get to people where they are. Wow. Yeah, I would agree with that. I actually met two of those imams in, in Guinea and spent some time talking to them about this. There's a lot in religion that actually relates to infectious diseases, um, and so they're able to draw on those religious texts and reframe these issues in a way that sort of transcends politics. And so I thought that was really powerful. I love that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, it speaks to the fact that it's so hard to convince people to change their values. It's much easier to appeal to values they already hold. And it's probably easiest to do that if the message is coming from someone who they believe already shares their values. Best of the Left is a totally independent production. We have no parent company, no safety net, nothing like that. We are totally dependent on the direct financial support of the audience. And we have three people who don't work full-time on the show, but definitely depend on the show to generate money. So we are as vulnerable as everyone else in this time of economic uncertainty. You know, when, when people start not being able to go to work or getting laid off, non-essential expenses are going to be the first to go. And that means we expect to begin to see a drop in Patreon members in the coming weeks. So if you can support the show on Patreon, that would be amazing. But there's also a way that you can support the show without it costing you anything. If you're doing any shopping from the big box store in the sky, you can use our affiliate link and we will get a cut of the price from everything you purchase. 
Our affiliate links for the U.S., U.K., and Canadian stores are in the show notes and on the device you're using to listen right now. They're also available on our website, bestofleft.com, in the sidebar. If you take just a couple of minutes to bookmark the link to your store on your browsers and even delete the mobile app from your phone and add that link as a button in its place, you can enormously help us get through this health and economic crisis just by doing your regular shopping. Thanks so much for your help and support. All right, let's stay with the question of of the spread of this virus um, because our our society isn't very well prepared, um, but we can prepare ourselves. We can prepare our hearts so that we're that one on the boat, whether we stay in our homes at times that we need to and take it as a time of deepening our our sense of presence and care for others. It also means that we can become altruistic. Um, it can bring out the best in us. And l- let me tell you a story. Um, this was on BBC some not so many years ago. They did a special on the 60th anniversary of the siege of Leningrad in World War II. And Leningrad was besieged by the um, German army for almost three years through three long winters. And there were oh hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people inside, many who were close to starving. And one older woman who had been there as a child um, was describing the experience. And she said, we would go out once a week. She said, and in the winter, I went out to pick up bread for my mother and myself. And the streets were icy and slippery and I stood in the bread line and went and got my piece of bread and as I came out I fell on the ice and the bread fell into the mud puddle and I sat there and I wept I was a young girl and another woman walked out behind me who had received her bread and she picked helped pick me up and she tore her piece of bread in half and wrapped it in a cloth and handed it to me And then this old woman led the camera down the hallway of her railroad type apartment into the kitchen and opened a cabinet. There was a a, um, ceramic, which she pulled open and pulled out a blue kerchief and untied it. And inside was part of that piece of bread. And she said, what that woman did for me is she gave me the spirit to live through the next year and a half of the of the siege, um, and I'll never forget it. Wow! So we have the opportunity, even in difficult times, to let our spirit shine. Hmm. Maybe maybe especially in difficult times, uh, and and it. I've been thinking a lot of an expression recently, and how it might apply to me, and how I'm responding to current life events uh, or world events, for that matter. 
uh, and I don't know the attribution, so I apologize to whoever actually said or wrote this, but that adversity does not build character, it reveals character. Have have you seen any, and let's just take for the time being that to be true, whether it is or it isn't, but let's just, let's assume that to be true. Have you seen any uh, patterns in the people who are having the greatest difficulty emotionally, psychologically, with the spread of this novel coronavirus? Are, are, and is there anything to be learned from that that can help people? Well, the first thing to say is that I've seen people, I have a friend who's a doctor who's going around and visiting anybody who has got symptoms. Um, and she's, you know, from, from the outside, you might call it heroic in some way. But she said, but this is what I train for. This is the oath that we take as physicians, that yeah. we will actually be there. And so it brings out what's beautiful in lots of people. However, as you say, if we have a tendency to worry, which many people do, or if we have a tendency to feel ourselves to be small, if our identity is built somehow around the sense of separateness, mm. um, then this can exacerbate it. What's helpful is to have a bigger perspective. Um, the Ojibwa Indian Native Americans have this amazing, I find, poetic way of putting it. They say, sometimes I go about pitying myself when all the while I'm being carried by great winds across the sky. Hmm. And we're in this human incarnation for a certain measure of time. No one knows how long they have. Um, a beautiful and difficult and remarkable dance in this life. And how will we do it? We're being carried by vastness. And we're not just this personality or our history or the small sense of self. You are a spirit that was born into your body. You were, you were the loving awareness that was born into this incarnation. And you get to remember who you are as you start to awaken. And it gives you a tremendous kind of freedom. So my hope is that people will see their habits and also remember that who they are uh, the Buddhist texts begin with the words, O nobly born, or you who are the sons and daughters of the lineages of the awakened ones, remember who you really are, that it will actually bring out what's beautiful in people. I have been experimenting due to the fact that there are a lot of restaurants around me are closing. I've been uh, experimenting with uh, it's this thing. It's I think it's a Swedish art form called a kuking. <laughs> uh, I think that's an umlaut over the U. It's uh, sort of like you set a restaurant up essentially in Whoa. your own kitchen and prepare the food yourself, right. and then serve it yourself. You can do a character of a white stuff as I have been doing. Hello, Nick Cooper. <laughs> nice to see you. Look, it's uh, there's no, there's nothing 
else really going on in the world at the moment? I mean, I did read this morning that uh, apparently today, as we record the 20th of March, is the International Day of Happiness. <laughs> and uh, let me speak for the entire population of the world when I tell that title to go ram itself. <laughs> The first try this at home is to keep a COVID-19 journal of some kind. This is an extraordinary time and you might want to consider keeping some kind of journal about it. So you're going to do this. Yes, I'm going to do this. I am, I've already started it and I kind of went back to, to try to like piece together sort of when did I first hear about it and kind of like how it sort of percolated through. I printed out some emails, like my daughter, it's very sad, you know, she's come coming home from college. She'll actually be here. She'll be home in like another hour. She got the news like, hey, it's happening at 7 a.m. And it went out to parents and children and you got to get out of Dodge, pack up your room. So mm-hmm. I printed out that email because I'm like, one day she's probably going to want to look back at this. I'm probably going to want to look back at this. Yeah. And ta- and keeping a journal can help you process the experience. So it's sort of one, a historical record, but two, it can help you just process your feelings, especially right now when a lot of people might be feeling isolated. Yes. Um, there's a huge amount of research showing that when we turn experiences into narrative, it helps us process those experiences and also to find meaning in them. And so people tend to have a feeling of more like there was meaning to this experience, even if it was very difficult. And so keeping a journal is a way to foster that. I mean, I'm really going to, um, I haven't told Eliza and Eleanor this, but um, as part of my happiness bully grand plan, I'm really going to encourage them to keep journals too. No, they don't have to keep a journal the way I would keep a journal. There's lots of ways to keep a journal. Like I told Eliza, take a lot of photographs of Mm. what's happening because it's not just your friends, but just like what's happening around you because it is a historic, this is a historic moment in the life of the world. It is a milestone in the world. How about you, Elizabeth? What are you thinking? Well, I'm not going to keep probably a diary exactly because I'm just so not a diary keeper. Um, But two of my friends and I, Amanda and Jessica, decided we're going to make a shared scrapbook, a COVID-19 scrapbook. Uh, So um, we're... (laughs) That's kind of a funny phrase. I know. It is, isn't it? Um, You have to find the humor where you You can, is what we decided. So we're going to have a a photo drop box, and we're putting in pictures of things like the last big gathering party, you know, before (gasps) this all happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, the email, as you said, from the school, letting everyone know that it's closing, um, photos of the empty, uh, you know, empty shelves in the grocery store, all that kind of stuff. And and some of them are very funny, you know, and it is yeah. in a way just, I think everybody's a little slap happy in some ways because yes. of the anxiety is yes. like got everybody on edge. Yes. Um. So again, and then our plan is we'll put all these in the Dropbox and then when this passes, hopefully yes. it will pass at some point, we'll print everything out and then we'll get together and drink wine and make scrapbooks because I think we are going to want to have some kind of record of this time, but it's sort of something to look forward to and also a way of just staying um, connected. So yes. it's covering a lot of bases. It is. And then it, it, and I like the idea of looking for the humor too. 
Yeah. Or like the funny thing that's going to happen when you're, you know, the, the cabin fever aspect of it or, you know, yes. what do you end up doing? Uh, I also like that your idea, there's like a hopeful quality to it because it's reminding you there will come a day when this is in the past. Um, and, yes. I'll, you know, about a journal, it's like you imagine yourself in the future looking back on this to help you remember what's happening. And so that's good. One thing um, you said you, you're not a journal keeper. One of the things that I wrote about in the Happiness Project was keeping a one sentence journal where mm. I would just write down one I sentence should every do day. That. Yeah, I'll post a link. I have like a little, it, you know, you can do it with anything. I have like a little journal that um, like, you know, I did where you can fill in the dates. But it can be good to just write one sentence because one sentence a lot of time, it's totally manageable. And later, one sentence can bring back many, many memories um, mm. and it's doable. In fact, I, I think in, in addition to this, my, my regular, I think I will do that too because I think it kind of taps into a different framework of, 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 of memorialization. I also think what's great about this is that it helps clear your mind. I think for a lot of mm. people, it's kind of like keeping a list. There's something you feel maybe irrationally that you're gaining more control of things by mm -hmm. recording it in your way and sort of tracking things. And I, th I think it clears your mind to write things down. Yes. And I think yes. a lot of us are searching for kind of more mental clarity. Finally today, as the number of coronavirus cases ramps up and as more lockdowns and social distancing measures are put into place across the U.S., more and more people are no doubt feeling the psychological effects of the pandemic. Joshua Morgenstein, chair of the American Psychiatric Association's Committee on Psychiatric Dimensions of Disasters, said in the Washington Post, quote, right now people are feeling grief over the loss of routines certainty, and a perception of themselves as being generally healthy and protected, end quote. To help treat the feeling of grief, Morgenstein recommends, quote, things like getting good sleep, eating regularly, staying hydrated, exercising. When we take care of our body with good sleep in particular, but certainly food and water, our ability to think clearly, our ability to solve problems, our ability to manage our emotions are all optimized, end quote. Kathy Hogan-Bruin, a Washington-based clinical psychologist specializing in anxiety disorders also recommends not following every single update about the coronavirus if you're already feeling overwhelmed. Quote, really try to limit the news consumption or just staring at your phone and your computer because for most of us, that makes mental health worse rather than better, she said. Joshua Gordon, a neuroscientist and psychiatrist who is the director of the National Institute of Mental Health, recommends making a plan for dealing with this moment. Quoting the Washington Post, Having a strategy for day-to-day -day living isn't just a matter of protecting oneself from the coronavirus and limiting its spread in the community. It's a form of mental therapy as Gordon sees it. A pandemic plan could involve ensuring that social distancing doesn't result in extreme loneliness and a feeling of isolation. People who are staying home can set up group chats via Zoom or FaceTime or some other platform, make a plan for helping people who are most vulnerable, or at least making sure that someone is checking in with an isolated elderly family member each day, something Gordon's family has been doing, end quote. Gordon says, quote, remember that what is most disturbing about what we're going through is the uncertainty when we know what's happening, when we know what to expect, we feel safe, even if what we expect might be threatening. Develop a plan, 
Find your place in the world. It can take time, it can take preparation, but it can help a lot, end quote. While we all might be feeling some form of distress during this time, it can be particularly rough on the one in five Americans who experience some form of mental illness and an interruption to daily routines, lack of social engagement, and the uncertainty of the future can worsen symptoms. Psychiatrist Joshua Morgenstein says, quote, it's like this kind of forced depression. No one knows, can I go on summer vacation? Can I go to my daughter's graduation? We don't get to do that planning and daydreaming in our heads right now. Depression is feeling hopeless about the future, and right now, I think that's how a lot of people feel, rightfully so. If you have underlying depression, that might be exacerbated at this point, end quote. Even if you don't experience anxiety or depression, usually this kind of crisis might cause you to have something called distress reactions. Morgenstein explains distress reactions as, quote, trouble sleeping, difficulty in concentration, a feeling of being unsafe, anger, blaming others, a desire to socially isolate. It can lead to risky behaviors such as excessive use of alcohol or tobacco. Interpersonal violence can flare. One common response to disasters is work-life imbalance, working long hours and letting other important duties and needs in one's life slide, end quote. If you are feeling any of those distress reactions, listen to the advice of experts that I just listed. Schedule time to check in with friends and loved ones. Eat healthy. Exercise. Get fresh air if you can. Stick to a schedule. Make a plan. All of that can help you manage and stay calm. And maybe this closing reminder from Joshua Morgenstein about the universality of this experience will help. Quote, Understanding and reminding ourselves that we're all going through something together, sometimes that can help us feel less alone. End quote. So today in the studio, we have our producer, Chris Skinner, who's coming in to give you some tips about what to do when you're very bored at home. Christopher. I am basically stuck at home 24 hours in, and I've got to say it's something of a struggle. But I thought in this day and age, what people need is help and advice. So I prepared for sort of five things that might work for uh, the general posters out there. Right. So then number one, cook, obviously, but innovate. <laughs> cook like you've never cooked before. Do you know what sumac is? My jar of sauerkraut does. They've been hanging out at the back of the cupboard for about six months. They're going in the pan, obviously, alongside all the other shit at the back, and naturally half a glass of water. I think like this is the time to throw that stuff together and make it like live together in a way that it never thought possible. Who cares if like Korean doesn't go with German? It's fine. Is sumac Korean? I don't know where sumac's from. I mean, um, I think it's the, a Middle Eastern spice. Sure, but I could be wrong. Um, of course, then the sort of one part B of that is, of course, eat. Once all that nice sauerkraut has gone, you basically, this is the opportunity to get enormous. You know, pasta and rice in one meal. And basically, it's all you've got, you morons. I've seen what you've been buying in the supermarkets. So, I mean, maybe you can mix it with the juice of a wet wipe. Go for it. I mean, that, that, that's what you're going to be eating for the next month. I'll have some rice on my pasta. Thank you. It would be my pleasure to serve that. Would you like some gravy granules with it? <laughs> Number two, and I think this is a really important uh, time to really explore who you are. It's quite simple. Troll. It's really easy to do. You go on Twitter, you go on Instagram, set up a troll account and call your dad a <laughs> Scream about every politician from every single <laughs> angle. 
be really childish. Every time someone makes a really good point, disagree and tell them they smell. <laughs> I mean, Christopher. I mean, Christopher. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is you need to... No, what I'm saying is... No, this isn't like you, Christopher. No, this isn't like you, Christopher. You're... <laughs> Are you just saying everything that I'm saying? I've been stuck here for 24 hours and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> no, you're better than that, Christopher. I know you... I know that all of our listeners know you. You're a generous and kind person who helps old ladies across the road and kisses babies in the street, assuming that quarantine regulations allow for that. So I think you need to take a few deep breaths, maybe a couple of sips of water. You'll be fine. Okay. It's just weird. I've been having these sort of weird feelings in the last couple of days. I am not myself, <laughs> which leads on to point number three. There's never been a better time to masturbate in public. I mean, it really is. I mean, there there is no one around right now. I'll let you in on a little secret. I jizzed into the Thames this morning and no one saw. (laughs) There's a traumatised eel down there right now. Well, you know, that's his problem. And then nine months from now or three months from now, I don't know, eel gestation periods, you'll have a little eel son who will knock on your door and ask to be part of the family. Oh, is that how biology works? (laughs) They are anticipating a baby boom as a result of the coronavirus lockdown, as well as a rise in divorces and less pleasant things like domestic violence. But Didn't 88 Chinese couples immediately file for divorce when they came out of isolation? Oh, absolutely. I've said this for a long time. I've said in the modern world, all you need is a good enough Wi-Fi connection and you can maintain a stable relationship with someone completely unsuitable for an indefinite period of time. (laughs) That does not hold true if you have to share a small space and if you don't trust their infection control measures. Don't touch me! Don't touch me! And now for that that silver lining. This was uh, posted or written by Kitty O'Mara. And uh, it's just something to hold on to, maybe like meditate on uh, as we continue to go through this space and know that you're not alone and we're not alone and we're going to we're going to make it. And the people stayed home and read books and listened and rested and exercised and made art and played games and learned new ways of being and were still and listened more deeply. Some meditated, some prayed, some danced, some met their shadows, and the people began to think differently. And the people healed. In the absence of people living in ignorant, dangerous, mindless, and heartless ways, the earth began to heal. And when the danger passed, and the people joined together again, they grieved their losses, and made new choices, and dreamed new images, and created new ways to live and heal the earth fully as they had been healed. We've just heard clips today, starting with the majority report running down a timeline of Trump downplaying the crisis. And that was before he said that we'd be wrapping all of this up in just a couple of weeks. Social distance explained productive versus unproductive anxiety. The Love, Happiness, and Success podcast discussed the concept of radical acceptance. The Last Post reported on the update to Tinder that would make Jane Austen proud. 
Epidemic explored the psychological angle of many aspects of dealing with a pandemic. The Tim Ferriss Show had on Jack Cornfield to discuss a couple of mental reframing devices to help get you through. The Bugle described the Swedish art form filling the gap left by closed restaurants. Happier with Gretchen Rubin gave some advice on a few concrete coping mechanisms. The Coronavirus Daily Briefing explained the importance of taking care of our bodies to support our minds, as well as the need to limit news intake to manageable levels. The Last Post explored a few tips of things you can do to help stave off boredom while stuck at home. And finally, we just heard Common Censored Reading and The People Stayed Home by Kitty O'Mara. To hear our bonus content, which will continue to include more voicemails and, of course, commentary from myself and Amanda as we make our way through this process, you can sign up as a patron of the show at patreon.com slash bestofleft. And now, we'll hear from you. Hey, Jay, it's James near Sacramento, my brother. Thank you for keeping it on the air. I hope you stay on the air for a long, long time. I can only afford two a month because I'm broke. Hey, listen, um, I know probably everyone's going to hate me for saying this, but I think it needs to be said, and um, uh, no one wants to hear that there's upsides to this, but there is something. If you go outside, notice how incredibly peaceful it is. We're all slowing down now, and we need to slow down. We in America have made an incredibly fast-paced lifestyle that is not natural, and I think it causes all kinds of problems. I think it probably helps cause, you know, if, if, there's, if everyone's rushing around, then that's going to cause something like this to spread too easily. I read a book that called out America on this. It said, it's called The Laws of Life. And the gentleman said this, America has reached danger point. The pace of life has gotten too fast, lacking in compassion. America has got to change. So, you know, when in doubt, one thing I think some a lesson we can learn from this whole crisis is this. We need to slow down in this country. Slow down. And the rest of the world, too. We set the pace for the world. Or, or I think another better way of looking at it is this. Live more in moderation. You know, you know you're not religious. I think the Buddha was a bit more of a philosopher than he was a religious figure. He said, live in moderation. At least live at a moderate pace. Doesn't have to be a slow pace, but just a moderate pace. I think that will help us... Uh, if we, if we rush around too much, it causes all kinds of problems. It causes aggression. It causes us to um, be keyed up, have a, a tremendous amount of stress. Too much stress weakens your immune system. So we all need to slow down. And this crisis is causing us to do that and find the value in slowing down. That's all I got to say. I love you, brother. Take care. Please keep doing what you're doing. Hey Jay, it's Alan from Connecticut. Just came out of the grocery store. Um, plenty of food and the people there are enforcing social distancing, every other register, lines to make sure that people are not too many people in the store. 
people being super nice and generous. You know, not a lot of people wearing masks, but some people wearing masks. I came out of the store and I don't know why, just started to cry. I guess it's a recognition of a long week and fighting work and and um, trying to to make things good for the people I work with in healthcare and you know last week of shortages on the shelves and empty groceries and stuff like that and it's it's a lot for people to take in and it's going to it's going to it's going to it's going to continue and um Wow, it's just it's just amazing. Um, and then I stopped by the liquor store, and the liquor store has a sign up saying that we're going to ask you to round up your purchase and anything else you want to put into this bucket to support our local restaurants and organizations that can't remain open. And they've listed a couple there that are restaurants and a, um, a Pilates place. And that 10% of the purchases are being don- donated to them. It's funny because here in the state of Connecticut, starting tomorrow, all non-essential businesses are shut are are being ordered to shut down. A liquor store, however, is considered essential business, so they will remain open. But it's amazing times, and um, you know maybe having. Uh, you could do a whole episode of people calling in with little snips like this of, of what their experience is. And we're struggling at home. My daughter's got a boyfriend and she wants to go see her boyfriend. And, you know, we've had conversations with their parents to make sure that, you know, if they're going to get together, is that okay? And, you know, teenage love, it's hard to fight that. And you have to kind of give in a little bit here or there, but you can't, you know, lock your kids up in the house either. Um, and I've been looking at the uh, parks and the parks are overloaded with people. <laughs> That's not really social distancing. So it's, it's difficult here in Connecticut. And, um, and my father's been isolated in, in a New York City apartment for over a month, actually, trying to figure out when he gets deliveries of groceries, how to sanitize those groceries when they come in. Just amazing what, what the thought process is and how to adjust to this change of life, whether it be temporary or prolonged. And talking with my kids about what they're going to do for the summer, uh, employment opportunities and summer camps and so forth. It's it's um, it's it's quite a challenge. Um, so that's the latest news from here in Connecticut. Hope everyone stays safe, wash your hands, and stay awesome. Hey Jay, it's Alan from Connecticut calling in with your debacle on bread and roses and Dr. Roger Ray. And I'm here to solve your problem for this year. I will make a donation this year in your name to him. I've been on the fence of doing this for, sorry, Ray, for a couple of years. But your little message there has pushed me over the edge. And tonight I will send off a check to him in your name. And I think that will take some weight off your shoulders so you can focus on other things. And I think it'll do all three of us a whole lot of good. So thanks for that and stay awesome. Hi, Jay. This is uh, Eamon calling again from uh, Orange County, California, um, in the midst of this whole coronavirus thing. And funnily enough, I uh, took this week off a couple 
weeks ago, uh, I asked for it off to kind of de-stress, and then I'm in the middle of this whole stressful environment, and I just wanted to comment on this uh, whole consumerist orgy of fear and stress we're all uh, we're all having to work with. Um, this is really getting to me because this reminds me of how I grew up. I grew up in uh, a town called Brea, California in the 90s, and it's a pretty affluent place, but I grew up in a, in a home that was uh, owned by my family, and my mom, <clears throat> my mom raised me as a single mother, and we had no money. Um, we had nothing really. Uh, we had a house, and uh, but all the food we had was donated from a church, the, the the Catholic church I was baptized at, right down the street. And um, you know, my mom was on welfare, or we were on welfare, um, due to her. She had some depression issues, and uh, even though she was a college graduate, she just couldn't couldn't battle her demons enough to to go work which i you know understand it's it's a hard world when you have uh, some mental issues going on but this whole um this whole thing going on now is really uh i don't like using the word triggered because i think it's kind of cheesy but it, it's really getting to me um because of the uncertainty and the, ang- the anxiety i feel just driving past stores i see lines of people um Finding each other for toilet paper and sanitizer and and food. Um, I went to the store yesterday to get some to get some food because I didn't really have a lot of food at home. And the anxiety I had just seeing the amount of people and the fear in their eyes it really reminded me growing up. Not that anything like this had happened before, but in the sense of the uncertainty and just the the fear that is in everyone's eyes and. Um, you know, uh, I I have hope for humanity, but at the same time, I uh, I'm terrified because people aren't like they used to be. People aren't thinking clearly. They're they're being pushed and prodded into doing things out of fear instead of stopping and being rational. So I think it's our job <clears throat> to really harken back to the the. I guess the 30s and 40s mentality of solidarity. The only thing that's going to get us out of this is working with each other no matter whether we like it or not we are our brother's keeper and um love is always stronger than fear it's i think it again sounds cheesy but i'm a pretty judgmental person to myself but um the only thing that gets me through it is the idea that um mankind can really love each other we've done it before and we gotta stop not even letting this whole trump administration break us up but the culture, the culture wants us to be scared. You know, the only way to be safe is to buy, and that's bullshit. You know, we all know that. Um, I hope something happens in a positive direction, um, but I'm realistic. But I just want everyone listening to this, even though I don't know them, to know that, you know, I love everybody, we all love each other, and we all need to be safe, and we deserve to be safe. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to our production assistant, Joel McKean, who helps gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called in to the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or a question of your own to be played on the show, you can simply record a message at 202-999-3991. And to be completely honest... 
I don't have any more to add to, the, to today's show, and I'm happy to leave you with the beautiful sentiments we just heard from our voicemailers. As always, just again, if you have anything you would like to share or add, stories to tell, commiseration, <laughs> anything along those lines, we would love to hear from you. 202-999-3991. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show in this precarious time by becoming a member or making donations of any size at patreon.com slash best of the left. That is absolutely how the program survives. As I've been mentioning, supporting us by shopping through our affiliate links is particularly important at a time like this when we all still need to buy things, but uh, people's job prospects are precarious and memberships may begin to be canceled. It's a completely understandable scenario, uh, and so if you can sign up or or, uh, save our affiliate links to use every time you shop, that could be a huge, huge help to us. Now, of course, everyone can support the show just by continuing to tell everyone you know about it and leaving us glowing reviews on Apple Podcasts and Facebook to help others find the show. For details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog and likely right on the device you're using to listen. So, coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you as often as we are able to get these episodes to you, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And now we'll wrap up with everyone's favorite news by Limerick. As you may have heard, uh, Trump and others in in the GOP are already getting itchy about the economy and are uh, beginning to propose that people go back to work as early as just a couple of weeks from now uh, for the sake of the economy. May it be praised. And so at Limericking on Twitter writes, Some folks on the right disagree that halting the virus is key. They'd rather we try leaving grandma to die, as this may improve GDP.